About 170 years ago, in Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim at that time had two uh, prominent communities, a Sephardi community that was there before the Ashkenazim arrived, and then there was a young, a younger Ashkenazi community. The head of the Ashkenazi community was a famous scholar, the Goen Reb Shmuel Salant. Reb Shmuel Salant, when he came about a hundred and 75 years early, um, ago, um, he, <clears throat> he founded a Bezdin, an Ashkenazi Bezdin, and he appointed several judges, Dayanim, on that Bezdin. One of them was a Rabbi Levi, a great scholar, a young scholar, who tragically lost his life through a terrorist attack by missionaries who saw him as their, uh, arch enemy because he was uh, fighting vigorously against the missionaries who were praying on the poor families of Yerushalayim, trying to convert them to Christianity. And he fought them very strongly, so they ended up murdering him. About five years after this whole controversy about the, about the conversion that I'm about to tell you. Um, in Yerushalayim at that time, Rav Shmuel Salant, the head of the Ashkenazi community, was traveling through Europe to raise funds for the yeshiva that he had founded in Yerushalayim. He was traveling through Poland at the time. And uh, the Bedin was left to uh, tend to the affairs of the community, the Ashkenazi community. About three years before that, a, a, a man from Morocco, an Arab, not Jewish, arrived in Jerusalem and came to the Bet Din stating that he wants to convert. He seemed very sincere and he was sincere. He went through a whole process. It took three years before the Bezdin, the Ashkenazi Bet Din, finally decided to convert him. He was so excited. He just couldn't wait for the day when he'd come out of the mikveh and he'd be Jewish, and he, he just loved Judaism. He was a genuine convert, a man who genuinely um, couldn't wait for the moment where he can embrace Judaism like a Jew. The bris, they did his bris mila, as you know, as a conversion, there's two, two steps for men. You have to do a bris mila, first a circumcision, and then you wait for the uh, decision, the incision to heal, and then there is a few days later after it healed, we go. They go to to the mikveh. The the bris mila took place uh, a few days before Shabbos, and the bedin decided that the mikveh will take place on Sunday. They wanted to give some time for the wound to heal. That Shabbos, this pr prospective convert was uh, he was in heaven. He loses his last Shabbos before he becomes a Jew, and he couldn't wait. That Shabbos, he kept Shabbos, and because he was somewhat ill, because of the incision, so he stayed in bed and tried to recover so that he would be able to go to the mikveh on Sunday. That Shabbos, somebody whispered to the, into the ears of Rabbi Levi, one of the members of the of the Bezdin, the Ashkenazi Bezdin, who was involved in the conversion of this man, that this 
man is very impressive. He keeps Shabbos and he refuses to compromise even on the slightest iota. When the rabbi heard this, it was already Shabbos afternoon after Mincha, and he says, what? He's not Jewish yet. And we learn in the parasha, that a non-Jew can't keep Shabbos. Please go to his room and tell him he must get up and write down on a piece of paper at least a few words, or one word, so he would transgress Shabbos at least once. The messenger was somewhat taken aback. He didn't expect that. But the Rav says, so he went to this um, prospective convert and he told him, listen, I'm sorry, but uh, the Rav told me to tell you that you need to do on Shabbos a certain work to, to, to desecrate Shabbos. And he saw him lying in bed. He was, you know, it was, it was chilly. He was, he was also a little bit sick because of the circumcision. So he said, listen, why don't you get up for two minutes? Here's a quill, there's a quill, and there's a paper. Just write down before Shabbos ends so that you wouldn't be observing Shabbos while you're not Jewish yet. The, the man was totally astonished and devastated. And he couldn't believe his ears. He started crying. He said, what does it mean? I, I, I've been waiting to keep Shabbos all my life. Uh, in fact, the last three years, I kept Shabbos. And now you're telling me I have to break Shabbos? Tomorrow I'll be a Jew. And now he just, he couldn't get himself to do it. But when the guy says, the Rav says, you have to. It's an obligation. He dragged himself out of bed. He went to the table and took the quill. And his hands were trembling and shaking. And he was sobbing and sobbing, bitter tears and wrote a word on the piece of paper and then dropped the quill he went straight to his bed and just put his face into his pillow crying, crying, crying bitter tears this Psach Halacha spread very quickly through Yerushalayim and created a huge commotion from the Sephardi community the head of the Sephardi Bezdin uh, condemned this Psach and especially considering the devastation it caused to this poor man. They claimed that he was supposed to keep Shabbos, or he was allowed to keep Shabbos for sure. And maybe even was supposed to keep Shabbos. Other Rabbanim, even in the Ashkenazi community, also criticized this psak. And this led to a huge controversy that eventually spread to Europe. Rabbis, major rabbis in Europe were consulted about this. And Rabbi Levi, unfortunately, found himself to be alone in his position. He consulted the Gerer Rabbi Hedusha Arim. He wrote him a long letter asking his opinion. And Hedusha Arim at that time was visited by none other than Rabbi Shmuel Salant, who was the superior, the supervisor of this Rabbi Levi. He had traveled to Poland to raise funds, and he happened to visit Hedusha Arim at the time. And Hedusha Arim at that time received... Coincidentally, the letter from Rabbi Levi. And he shared that letter with Rabbi Shmuel Salant. Rabbi Shmuel Salant also disagreed with that ruling. And he also wrote a letter. And the Shurim wrote a letter to say that he um, must do tshuva. He, he misguided this poor guy. And tshuva started going back and forth. Rabbi Levi did not concede so easily. 
he wrote letters to other great rabbis, but he couldn't find any support, except <coughs> years later there was a very famous rabbi, the Chalkis Yoyev, a Talmud of David and Eze, a great Gohan, who actually sided with Rabbi Levi's position. The main point is that in the Gemara it says clearly, if somebody took, uh, did a, went through the bris mila, but he hasn't get, gone, gone to the mikveh yet, it's as if he didn't get a bris mila. That means just a bris alone doesn't mean anything. You're still not Jewish. If he's not Jewish, said Rabbi Levi, then <coughs> he should not keep Shabbos. But others disagreed, and this was based on various considerations from various places in Shas. Um, some argued an interesting argument that there's two parts to conversion. One is to leave the, the state of non-Jewishness, and the second one is to become and to assume the Kedusha Sisrol. And these are two separate, this Mila is one, you get rid of the, the Mila, which is getting rid of the, the past, a past identity, and the mikveh is the opposite, assuming a new identity, identity of a Jew. So they felt that when you're between the two, you may be able to keep Shabbos. It's interesting that in the davening we say, you didn't give Shabbos to Goya or to the nations. You did not bequeath it to those who worship idols. Uh, it says that Arelim, uncircumcised people, should not rest on that day. The, the term here is uncircumcised. Perhaps what the Nusach of the Davening is telling us that the definition of an Anju who shouldn't keep Shabbos is defined by whether he's circumcised or not. Possibly. At any rate, this became a huge, huge controversy that has been brewing for several years, for decades. And until today, responses still being written about the status of a convert who is between the two steps of the conversion process. Between the bris mila and the mikveh. Can he keep Shabbos then or not? So also, can he learn Torah then or not?